the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on this third weekend of October. The Synod and Synodality that began October 4th continues, and I give daily updates on that event. I'll also focus on the Synod in the interview segment, where my guest is Father Gerald Murray, pastor at Holy Family Church in New York, prolific writer, and noted canon lawyer. This is part two of our conversation. He was in Rome to give a talk on the Synod and to cover it as well. He tells us of the serious concerns he has about the Synod process, especially from the point of view of canon law, and also about the Instrumentum Laboris, the working document that guides both the preparation of a Synod and its actual work. But first, some news highlights. Sunday, October 15th, Pope Francis published a new apostolic exhortation entitled C'est la confiance, its confidence, dedicated to St. Therese of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face. It is confidence and nothing but confidence that must lead us to love. It was those words, written in September 1896 by St. Therese, that inspired the title for his exhortation. Those words, he writes, sum up the genius of her spirituality and would suffice to justify the fact that she has been named a doctor of the Church. Francis explains his decision to publish the exhortation on October 15th, not a date linked to the life of the saint. He said he wants the message to transcend those celebrations and be taken up as part of the spiritual treasury of the Church. The date, in fact, falls on the memory of St. Teresa of Avila to mark St. Therese as the mature fruit of the spirituality of the great Spanish saint. He then retraces the steps by which the popes came to recognize the extraordinary value of Therese's spiritual witness. Also Sunday at the Angelus, Pope Francis issued an urgent appeal for a halt to violence in Israel and Palestine, reiterating his belief that wars are always a defeat. He invited all believers to join the plea from the Church in the Holy Land that next Tuesday be a day of prayer and fasting. The Pope also spoke of the crisis in Nagorno-Karabakh and the serious humanitarian conditions affecting the displaced. He appealed for protection of monasteries and places of worship, expressions of faith, and signs of fraternity. Monday, October 16th, marking World Food Day, Pope Francis addressed a message to the Director General of the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization, in which he underscored the importance of the 2023 theme, Leave No One Behind. In that message, he noted that our world is marked by a stark reality where poverty and despair continue to plague so many of our brothers and sisters. Tuesday, October 17th, Pope Francis phoned parishioners of the Holy Family Catholic Parish in Gaza with a religious sister expressing gratitude for his encouragement for the suffering community. Pope Francis assured us we're in his prayers and that he knows the suffering we are enduring, said Sister Nabila Saleh of the Rosary Sisters of Jerusalem. She said the Pope called the parish priest, Father Yusuf, who then handed her the phone so I could speak directly with the Pope since the priest does not speak Italian very well. He wanted to know how many people are sheltering in the parish's facilities. 
There are about 500 people, she said, including the sick, families, children, the disabled, and people who have lost their homes and belongings. It was a great blessing to be able to speak with him. He gave us courage and support in prayer. Wednesday, October 18th. On Wednesday morning, Pope Francis received an audience, the King of Lesotho, Letsi III, in a meeting room in the Vatican's Paul VI Hall. Later, at the general audience, the focus of the Pope's catechesis on apostolic zeal was St. Charles de Foucault, who let Jesus act silently in his life. Later, at the audience appealing for peace in the Holy Land, Pope Francis expressed concern for the humanitarian situation in Gaza, calling on all parties to lay down their weapons and on all Christians to pray and fast on October 27th for peace. The number of victims is growing, and the situation in Gaza is desperate, said Francis. He turned his thoughts to Palestine and Israel, pleading that everything possible be done to avoid a humanitarian catastrophe. Pope Francis invited everyone to a day of prayer, fasting, and penance for peace on Friday, October 27th. He encouraged people of different Christian denominations, other religions, and all those who advocate for peace to participate as they see fit. The central event will be an hour of prayer at 6 p.m. in St. Peter's Square, with the goal of invoking peace for the world. Wednesday afternoon, Pope Francis welcomed the King of Bahrain, His Majesty Hamad bin Isa al-Khalifa, and he recalled his own visit to Bahrain in November 2022. Thursday, October 19. In the morning, Pope Francis welcomed in audience President Michael Higgins of Ireland. Also Thursday, Holy See Press Office Director Matteo Bruni issued a communique confirming that the Holy See has been asked to receive 12 priests from Nicaragua who were recently released from prison. The Holy See has accepted. They will be welcomed by an official of the Secretariat of State in the afternoon and lodged in several facilities of the Diocese of Rome. Thursday evening, Pope Francis presided at a moment of prayer for migrants and refugees in St. Peter's Square. He said, We are called to be neighbors to all the wayfarers of our time, to save their lives, to heal their wounds, and to soothe their pain. The vigil's focus was to remember the plight of migrants and refugees and the call to save them, and as the Pope said, heal their wounds, and help them contribute to society to build a better world marked by fraternity and peace. Organized by the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development, refugees from Cameroon, Ukraine, and El Salvador participated. The vigil took place in front of the large sculpture in St. Peter's Square called The Angels Unawares, a beautiful monument, a life-size sculpture in bronze and clay that depicts a group of migrants and refugees from different cultural and racial backgrounds and from diverse historic periods in time. Francis noted that the dangers facing travelers from Jerusalem to Jericho in ancient times are like the unsafe migration routes facing people today who travel through hostile deserts, forests, and seas. So many are robbed, stripped, and beaten, he said, often deceived by unscrupulous traffickers to then be sold like commodities. The dangers facing migrants and refugees today are stark, the Pope stressed, as they risk kidnappings, exploitation, torture, and rape, with many not surviving before reaching their destination. Sadly, he noted, even in these days, we witness how people are fleeing war and terrorism. 
like the Good Samaritan, we are all called to be neighbors to all the wayfarers of our time, to save their lives, to heal their wounds, to soothe their pain. For many, tragically, it is too late, and we are only left to weep over their graves, if they even have a grave. Yet the Lord knows the face of each of them, and he does not forget. Friday, October 20th, was a quiet day. The synod, however, did continue. Now, the Holy Father, during the week, has participated in several of the meetings of the Synod on Synodality, sitting at one of the round tables in the Paul VI Hall, like all the other participants. Well, those are the news highlights, but don't move. Stay right here for my conversation with Father Gerald Murray. Welcome to the Q&A, where the question this week is, what is an apostolic exhortation? Pope Francis, in 10 years of pontificate, has issued seven apostolic exhortations, two in October 2023 alone, Laudate Deum on the Environment, October 4th, and C'est la Confiance, It is Confidence, dedicated to St. Therese of the Child Jesus on October 15th. An apostolic exhortation is a magisterial document written by the Pope, third in importance in papal documents, following apostolic constitutions and encyclicals. Exhortations generally exhort, as you might imagine, or encourage a particular virtue or activity. They do not define church doctrine, nor do they legislate. Francis's first apostolic exhortation was in November 2013, the year he was elected. Titled Evangelii Gaudium, Joy of the Gospel, it concerned the proclamation of the gospel in today's world. When issued following a synod of bishops, they are known as post-synodal apostolic exhortations. Pope Francis has written three such documents, following the synods on the Amazon, young people, and the family. This is Father Lawrence Liu. Catholic Radio is a precious gift because it places a Catholic voice in your homes, in your cars, wherever you might be. St. Dominic would pray as he walked and as he traveled throughout the length and breadth of Europe. Now as we travel and wherever we go, Catholic Radio can help us to keep our minds focused on the things of God. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. EWTN's Religious Catalog has terrific suggestions for Christmas gifts. The Proverbs Explained by Father Mitch Pacwa is a blueprint for Christian living and the keys to unlocking a treasure trove of practical ways to live a holy life. The Proverbs Explained books by Father Mitch is one of many great Christmas gifts from EWTN Religious Catalog. For more, visit EWTNRC.com today. People always ask me, Father, how should we pray? Well, there's several ways we can do it, but the most important is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to pray from our heart. We have to pray honestly and sincerely. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us so that we're not just simply saying words, but we're saying words that can actually change us. Prayer, if it changes us, then we're doing it right. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Father Gerald Murray, 
pastor at Holy Family Church in New York, prolific writer, and noted canon lawyer. He was in Rome to give a talk on the Synod on Synodality and to cover it as well. We continued to look at synodality and the serious concerns that Father has for the synod process and the working document, and that's a document that guides how the synod unrolls. Well, this is the whole uh, area of concern that I have with the, what's going on at the actual synod, because the working document basically takes the point of view that there are a lot of aggrieved or unhappy people out yeah. there uh, in the church, and the reason they're aggrieved and unhappy is because they don't think they're being listened to or appreciated. And uh, what, what, what is the subject of that lack of appreciation? That the church doesn't agree with what they're saying. And there's a reason the church doesn't agree with what they're saying, because what some of them, what they're saying is contradicting church teaching, exactly. which is definitive. It goes back to Christ. It's part of the natural law. It's part of revelation. So the, the I say it's an emotion center because the, the starting point... They want to make people feel good. Well, that's yes. it. Well, feel good yeah. and affirmed and, and, and appreciated, meaning uh, if you appreciate someone... You don't walk up to them and criticize them. That's the kind of critique. Say, why are you criticizing me? You're supposed to be affirming me. Yeah. Religion is not a therapy session to make you emotionally stable. Emotional stability comes when you follow God's law and pray and love your neighbor and are charitable, not when you get your way. Because sometimes we, when you get our way, we get something that's bad. Well, we wouldn't need confession any longer. I not mean, really, if all, yeah. If all of a sudden there were teachings... Um, that the church said that this is sinful. Well, just look at the Ten Commandments and then other teachings coming from the commandments or certainly the, the Bible. Um, if all of a sudden everything is relevant, what, what it seems to me, and I've said this to a number of bishops who asked if they could quote me, I said, you know, it looks as if, the, if you go into the secular world, it's the media, it's various groups out there that want to conform us, the Catholic mm -hmm. Church, to their image and likeness. Whereas we know in whose image and likeness we are created and who we are yes. following. So uh, we can't just get rid of, of teaching of the church. We can't get rid of what we've known for two millennia is sinful. I agree, and this is this, but this is the conflict in the church now. The perfect example is the German synodal way. They had sure. their own process, and they came out with a document calling for ordination of women, blessing of same-sex unions, changing the church's teaching. They want lay people to elect bishops. And they also want lay people to have the right to fire them. I mean, this is basically following the path of the Protestant Reformation, which is sure. some, pe some people in the church say, we're not happy with the teaching, we want to change it, and we're going to create you know, a new reality. And then the church comes back and says, no, Christ is the new reality. We follow him. And the church, remember the church, Christ said to the apostles, he who hears you hears me. And that continues to our day. So, yeah, this is a problem. And hopefully, I uh, say that, uh, you know, for the good of all, that these so-called hot-button issues will be addressed in a Catholic way, which is to say to which people... Which is the teaching of the exactly, church. Exactly, which is to say there's a reason why we don't bless same-sex unions. There's a reason why we don't ordain women. There's a reason why we don't approve of communion for the divorce and remarriage. Here are the reasons. And those reasons are very convincing because they're all consistent. Whereas the innovations are more or less, well, let's forget about what we said in the past, or let's change the way we interpret reality, you know, and let's say that emotions are more important than rationality. We can't go along with that. 
Well, you know, here we are talking about the teachings of the church, and this really goes into my next my next question. There was an incredible exchange, which you mentioned in your talk at uh, the Guillaume Theatre last week, uh, from an excellent journalist friend of both of ours, uh, Diane Montagne, and Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerick of Luxembourg. He's, of course, the general rapporteur uh, of the Synod. And his answer to her question for me, maybe one of the most disturbing comments to come from a, a Vatican official. And so what what I'll do is read so that people understand where we're coming from, mm-hmm. Diane's comment, and then let you talk about the Cardinal's answer. Diane said, referring to the Instrumentum Labor as the working document, yes. which we just have, two questions are asked. How can we create spaces where those who feel hurt and unwelcomed by the community feel recognized, received, free to ask questions, and not judged. In the light of the post-synodal apostolic exhortation Amoris Laetitia, isn't the only possible answer to these questions that, for these people to feel accepted, the Church must change her teaching on the inherent immorality or any use of the sexual faculty outside of a a lifelong and exclusive monogamous union of one man and one woman. And the answer of the Cardinal was? The answer of the Cardinal was, we're not here to talk about Catholic doctrine. We're here to accompany people, to walk with them, to listen to them. And that was stunning, because what's the purpose of a meeting of bishops and now other people with them uh, in the Vatican with the Pope, if not to talk about Catholic doctrine, because Catholic doctrine mean, is the reason we're all together. We all believe in the creed. We believe in the extended teaching of the church beyond the creed. And we don't treat that as a subject to be avoided, particularly when we're coming together in a meeting. So that arch- answer was shocking, but it revealed, I think, one of the flaws of the synod, which is since synodality has no definite definition that everyone knows, each bishop, or in this case a cardinal, can say, well, this is what synodality means. Synodality doesn't mean getting together to talk about Jesus and his teaching. It means to be with a bunch of people and listen to what they have to say. Well, interestingly enough, Father Jerry, um, at one of the very first, maybe the very first press conference two years ago to announce this synod, one of the journalists got up after all the presentations, and he said, um, I'm speaking for my fellow journalists around me. They've asked me to speak for them. But we have to ask you, we are not clear at all, what is the definition of synodality? And one of the members of the office of the Synod of Bishops got up and responded that when the Synod opens and is underway, we will fully understand the meaning of synodality. So for two years we've lived in this forest of mysteries of different definitions, of, of synodality, which may explain some of the problems. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's, th- this is a mystery. How you could say that? I mean, that would be like saying uh, we're, we're, we have a car factory, but we're going to build something new, but we don't know what it is. But once we build it, you'll find out. No, it doesn't work that <laughs> no. way. You, you set out your plans, you get your materials, you put them together. And the same with it. If you're going to talk about advising the Pope on how to promote the mission of the church, there has to be some purpose and reason. Now, if the reason and purpose is to get together and meet, well, that's we call that a tautology. In other words, you say our purpose is our purpose. You know, our meeting is about our meeting. Well, what what are you going to talk about? Yeah. And what they are talking about, of course, because let's be honest, it's 
the propositions in the working document that are of most interest to people. And that's where, you know, there will be uh, and already is great unease, controversy, sure. conflict. Uh, we've had, you know, some very influential and important people saying that the Senate is going in the wrong way if it follows these discussions of these topics. So, yeah. And the whole physical <clears throat> format is different, too. Instead of uh, 300, 350 people meeting in the Senate Hall, kind of a stadium-like, mm-hmm. um, an amphitheater-like setting. They are now all seated at round tables of 11 people in the um, Paul VI audience hall. And basically, you're listening to each other at your table. Very strict regulations, yes. um, restrictions actually, mm-hmm. have been imposed on the um, everyone whether you are a cardinal or a layperson attending the synod, um, you may not, for confidentiality and other reasons, you may not share your intervention Mm -hmm. or that uh, with others. You must stay, by the way, in the same seat at the table. You cannot change places with anyone else at the table. You are to use the tablet that they put on the table for your use. And by the way, don't take it out of the room because it it will cease to work. So there's this kind of like media blackout. So where are we supposed to get get the story? How am I supposed to know mm. what the English group, the Spanish group, the French group, what they're talking about? Whereas in the past, this or that bishop or theologian or layperson got up in front of everybody in the hall and pronounced then gave their speech. Could have been a minute. It could have been five minutes. But the whole world knew what they said mm-hmm. because, by the way, they also gave us I covered sure. it for many years. Yeah, sure. They also gave us a copy of their speech. Okay, with that in mind, the Holy Father has said oh, probably 500 times just in the last couple of months that the main protagonist of this synod is the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is going to help people discern what the future trajectory of the Catholic Church is. And um, <clears throat> you asked... Um, in your presentation, as many of us have been asking, um, I don't want to deny the Holy Spirit, by the way, what I'm saying, but what if a bishop doesn't go along with a supposed manifestation of the Holy Spirit's will expressed through the voice of the people? Mm. What a tough question. Well, this, yeah, this gets down to something very important, the life of the church. Um, The Holy Spirit is described as the protagonist of the synod, but we haven't had a new revelation of the Holy Spirit saying convoke a synod and to, to talk about X, Y, Z. The Pope did that. The Pope is the protagonist. Now, we hope and pray that the Pope and all the rest of us follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is going to produce the final document. The final document be produced by the men and women on the writing committee. The human beings. The human beings <laughs> and their degree of fidelity to... The prompting of the Holy Spirit will also depend on whether they're faithful to what the, we do know the Holy Spirit's inspired, which is sacred scripture and tradition. And then we know that infallible declarations of the church over the centuries uh, enjoy the protection of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I think it's, it's wishful thinking to say that the Holy Spirit is responsible for the, all of the proceedings and therefore you couldn't possibly object at the end because you don't want to go against the Holy Spirit. No, that's not how the church views the, the functioning of synods. You know, I think one of the saddest things about the Synod is the fact that for the, la- first, uh, for the last two years, we had 
uh, beginning at a parish level, then the diocesan level, then the nation's Episcopal conference, and then by continents. All kinds of people were meeting for, for input. But you know what it boils down to? In America, you and I know, in the United States, it was 1% of Catholics who became involved, mm. not because they weren't asked, they were and they sure. didn't become involved. Some didn't know, some didn't care, whatever the reason. But it's in the low single digits mm-hmm. for the rest of the world. Right. That So that's kind of scary. It's not like 62% of Catholics had input in what we're hearing today in Rome. That's true. That's true. And, you know, on the procedural level, there are a lot of problems. I'll just throw out a couple. You know, people, all, all of the national contributions to the Synod office in Rome, they've never been published. Now, some of the nation's bishops, nation, national conferences might publish it, or diocesan <clears throat> bishops might publish it. But, you know, also, anybody was free to send in a, a contribution to the Synod office in Rome. So I'm sure some lay people did, some groups. None of those have been published. Hopefully that record will all be made public someday. But the instrumentum laboris that we got, I criticize it highly because the concerns that are expressed in there are largely secular and left-wing concerns like environmentalism and and women's rights and all the rest. The the topics of most concern to Catholics, you know, the loss of faith, the loss of sacramental practice. That was my final question. Not there. What was in it and what wasn't in it? That wasn't there. And, Joan, that struck me. I mean, the greatest killer of human beings in the world is abortion. Never mentioned once. Euthanasia is a huge problem now. You know, assisted suicide. Sure. Big problem. The redefinition of marriage, the deprecation of family life, you know, the birth rates down in many countries. So... Children are not viewed with, as a loving gifts of God. So all of this stuff really is of great concern. It doesn't appear. Last one I'll throw out. I like the Latin Mass. So many people were very unhappy when the Pope restricted it. I'm sure that came up. Never mentioned in the document. No. So, again, it's like anything. The committee may say we're at the service of the overall group, but in a sense, they're the gatekeeper for what they find important. As we see it. Yeah. Exactly. So... Father Jerry, I know you have another appointment and you've been very generous with your time, but we needed to hear this. We need to know this. The people who are watching the Synod have to be discerning in what they also read about the Synod. You have to know the sources, the people who care for you, who bring the truth, who do not have an agenda unless it's the truth. Mm -hmm. So I've been talking, as you heard me say in the beginning, I should have renewed his name during the interview with Father Jerry Murray. You know him as a prolific writer, you know him as a canon lawyer, and I hope someday you get to know him as a friend as as I have. So, Father Jerry, thank you for your time here, and may God bless you and, and your ministry. You help so many of us. So Thank, thank you, you, Joan. I remember meeting you about 30 years ago yeah, when I first I, came to Rome, so it's great to be with you again. Renewing a friendship, so... On that note, um, God bless you, and safe travels when you do go back to the U.S., and thank you. Thank you. For more information on these stories, or to check out Joan's blog, and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.